We present the unbelievable truth, the panel game built on truth and lies. In the chair, please welcome David Mitchell. Hello and welcome to the unbelievable truth, the panel show about incredible truths and barely credible lies. I'm David Mitchell. And of course, the ultimate truth at the heart of all creation is love. Not my words, the words of Michael Jackson. <laughs> there will now be a short, uncomfortable silence. <laughs> Please welcome Sindhu V, Lloyd Langford, Susan Kalman and Graham Garden. <laughs> the rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, save for five hidden truths which their opponent should try to identify. Points are scored by truths that go unnoticed, while other panellists can win points if they spot a truth or lose points if they mistake a lie for a truth. First up is Sindhu V. Sindhu, your subject is flowers, the reproductive parts of seed-bearing plants often surrounded by brightly coloured petals. Off you go, Sindhu. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you. Potpourri is a Hindu phrase meaning, these flowers are dead. <laughs> Bill Clinton has never bought his wife flowers because he's allergic to flowers, not his wife. Lloyd. I reckon uh, old uh, Slick Willie has never... <laughs> I reckon he's never bought Hillary flowers. We don't know about that. <laughs> she does get very scared if he buys her cigars. <laughs> Susan. Can I say that uh, Bill Clinton is allergic to flowers? Correct. Yeah. yeah. I mean, also, between Hillary and Bill, the word flowers has a very different significance. Yes, it does. Are you referring to actress and model Jennifer Flowers? Indeed I am. Yes, with, with whom he apparently had a secret 12-year affair. <laughs> so secret. Well, he's only on Radio 4. You know? <laughs> In spite uh, of his allergy. <laughs> <laughs> During his time at the White House, staff were instructed not to put flowers... The, the things on stalks, on his... <laughs> not to put that sort of flowers on his table at receptions. Um, <laughs> Clinton is also allergic to cats and cigarette smoke. Flowers bought from a service station appear in 15% of all divorce petitions. <laughs> At Dame Judy Dench's wedding, all her flowers were bought from the local Esso garage. Lloyd. <laughs> I reckon that's a sort of eccentric um, yet lovable thing Dame Judy would have got up to. Specifically, she didn't, but maybe she <laughs> would have, yeah. No. Susan. Can I do the divorce petition one? Um, that that's true? It isn't, I'm afraid. Well, then I would like to withdraw that. <laughs> no. That's, no, the buzz is not returnable, as a drug dealer says. <laughs> um, they, they, they also say a very similar thing in Anne Summers. <laughs> in the 1500s, a bride carried a bouquet of flowers to hide her body odour. The most highly prized brides were the ones with the smallest bouquets. Lloyd. <laughs> I mean, I think it is a, a sure fact that women used to smell. <laughs> women still smell. <laughs> no, I mean, everyone smelt. I think maybe the flowers originated to um, mask a, a stinky bride. <laughs> that is basically true, yes. So, um, <laughs> yes. 
in the, yeah, in the 1500s, when bathing for women in particular, it says here, was rare, and Christian clergy condemned bathing as associated with the sins of pride and vanity, brides often held bouquets of strong-scented flowers, herbs, and even garlic to mask their body odour. I'll tell you something. Yeah. I don't want to disclose too much. <laughs> but you know, like, sometimes you go home on, like, a, a Friday and you decide, I'm just not going to wash. You just have one of those weekends where you just think, I'm just going to stay in the same clothes, I'm going to play Resident Evil in my pants, I'm just not going to bother. You know, and no you hygiene. you sort of drop briefly out of society. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. A bouquet of flowers would not mask that. Smell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, people have said to me that my musky odour is attractive. So. If only radio had the technology. <laughs> to allow listeners to enjoy what we're all enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> Sindhu. Cauliflower is not a flower, but broccoli is. But holding either of them under your chin will only demonstrate that you've forgotten how to eat. <laughs> Graham. I think cauliflower is not a flower. It is a flower. <laughs> Lloyd. I think broccoli is a flower. <laughs> It is a flower. Bingo. Bingo. Elton John spends more on flowers in one year than the GDP of Andorra. Susan. Yep, that's the one. <laughs> uh, well, I'm afraid not. The GDP of Andorra is a surprisingly large $3 billion, <laughs> uh, which would, would be a stretch even for Sir Elton. So. To keep flowers fresh for longer, scientists suggest adding a spoonful of pepper, a fistful of salt, half a dishwasher tablet, or even a Viagra tablet. Susan. Pepper. I'm afraid not. Oh, Lloyd. I'm going to have a bang on the dishwasher tablet. <laughs> <laughs> Very suggestive. I'm afraid not, no. I was Gr just talking about my plans after the recording. <laughs> <laughs> Graham. Well, if Lloyd had a bang on the dishwasher tablet, I'll uh, have a go on the Viagra. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely right. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, scientists in Australia first discovered Viagra's plant-preserving qualities and their research was published in the British Medical Journal, which revealed that Viagra can double the shelf life of cut flowers. Viagra contains nitric oxide, which slows down the dying process in plants. And it's the same chemical which relaxes the muscles in a man's penis, allowing the blood rush, which improves sexual performance. Prince Charles has found humming in the key of B-flat makes his flowers grow faster. Bumblebees open a flower by buzzing in middle C, while hummingbirds' wings vibrate at F-sharp to encourage increased nectar flow in the saxophone honeysuckle. Lloyd. Uh, the thing about the bees buzzing to open the flowers. Correct. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Bumblebees use a technique called buzz pollination, buzzing in the tone of middle C, which causes the flower to open up and often explosively release its pollen. Although, obviously, the bee doesn't want the pollen, does it? It wants the nectar. Mm. Uh, I guess it's like any relationship, David. It's all about compromise. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sindhu. At the end of that round, Sindhu, you've managed to smuggle no truths past the rest of the panel, which means you've scored no points. I mean, I lost, because they just yeah. kept getting chances till they were right. I, I'm not sure you will have lost, because there were a lot of unsuccessful buzzes as well. Is there a consequence for an unsuccessful buzz? 
Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you lose a point in this game that doesn't matter. But, you know, so... <laughs> if that counts as a consequence, yes, there's a consequence. So every time I buzz and it's wrong... You lose a point, Susan. Yeah, yeah. That's... Do you know It's never been explained to me yeah. clearly. I explain it very clearly every time. I, I read it out. I've read it out so many times. That, Did you, you read know, it out today? In, Did you read in, it out? Yeah. In, yes. in, the, in the coming decades, when I'm sitting in a home, all <laughs> I'll be muttering is the rules are as follows. Each panellist will present a short lecture that should be entirely false, and people won't know what I'm talking about. The robots that clean up my wee will be baffled. <laughs> Sorry, I just switched off when you talk. <laughs> <laughs> OK, we turn now to Lloyd Langford. Lloyd, your subject is rappers, hip-hop musicians who recite rather than sing their words with an emphasis on rhythm, rhyme and street vernacular. Off you go, Lloyd. Fingers on buzzers, the rest of you. Hip-hop pioneer Grandmaster Flash was once mistakenly entered as a competitor for a Russian chess tournament. Snoop Dogg has recorded a song with Buzz Aldrin called Rocket Experience, though conspiracy theorists have been quick to point out that the music video for the track looks like it was filmed in a studio. <laughs> Stormzy's nickname derives from his childhood dream to become a meteorologist. Queen Latifah is actually <coughs> descended from African royalty. Cindy. First of all, he's reading at some kind of bionic speed. <laughs> <laughs> Also, if we want to do the speed with accent, I'll do it, man. And I will win this thing. I will win this thing. So, but that's not why I buzzed. I buzzed because of Snoop Dogg and Buzz Aldrin. Is that thing true? It is true. Yes. yes. Yeah, wow. Yes. Yes, to celebrate the 40th anniversary of the moon landing, Buzz Aldrin teamed up with Snoop Dogg to record the song Rocket Experience. Aldrin commented, I have only two passions, <laughs> space exploration and hip-hop. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was lucky. <laughs> Dr Dre holds a PhD in business management and beneath M&M's brittle exterior lay some incredibly tasty chocolate and roasted peanut. <laughs> Cindy. Dr. Dre has what? a PhD. No. He's more of a locum. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, um, can we have the M&M stuff? Because I didn't get that. If you buzz in this, then you've, you've got problems. <laughs> <laughs> Beneath M&M's brittle exterior lay some incredibly tasty chocolate and roasted peanut. <laughs> Graham. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> I love M&M's. Well, yes, I'm, unfortunately, in this case... <laughs> Uh, th this is the rapper Eminem, but but obviously, but, but obviously they going from the sounds alone, that is true, isn't it? Because is I can see it's written uh, down uh, Eminem the rapper, but the well, sound uh, Eminem's, Eminems don't have rappers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I, I I think without the benefit of the script in front of you, I think that is true, and no, you have to call, get a bonus point. They called M&Ms, not M&M. But you said M&M <laughs> apostrophe S, which sounds exactly the same as the plural of the snack. Oh, yeah, fair enough. M&M <laughs> <laughs> himself has a fear of owls. Graham. Uh, I think he is afraid of owls. He is afraid of owls. Oh, Graham! Yeah. <laughs> According to M&M, he has, quote, a serious fear of owls. <laughs> He's also scared of giraffes, saying, I have a weird thing with giraffes, man. I don't like their necks. 
Did you know that Chaz and Dave play guitar and bass on the Eminem track, My Name Is, and also maracas and harmonica on the B-side, Knees Up Mother... <laughs> my name is that bit. That's true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My name is. My name yeah. is. Yes. Session musicians Chaz and Dave both featured on Labby Sifri's 1975 single, I Got Thee. And this track was sampled by Eminem for his breakthrough hit, My Name Is. The same Labby Sifri song has been sampled by other rappers, meaning Chaz and Dave have also featured on tracks by Jay-Z, Method Man, RZA and the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> <laughs> In 2011, a woman filed a $1 trillion lawsuit against Sean P. Diddy Coombs, claiming he caused 9-11. He named himself P. Diddy as homage to one of his favourite comedians, Ken Dodd. <laughs> Kanye West's song, Gold Digger, was directly inspired by a relationship he had with an unfaithful minor. Staff and police once had to break up a fight between Mitt Romney and rapper Sky Blue after Sky Blue irritated Romney by reclining his seat too far back on a plane. Practising Mormon Romney was already very upset that the airline had sat him separately from his wives. <laughs> the US East Coast West Coast rap rivalry of the 1990s inspired a similar situation in Wales between Charlotte Church and Duffy. <laughs> Church once warned Duffy that if she spotted her anywhere below Porth Madog, then she'd pop a cap in her ass. <laughs> Thank you, Lloyd. <laughs> and at the end of that round, Lloyd, you've managed to smuggle two truths Ooh. past the rest of the panel, <laughs> which are that in 2011, a woman filed a $1 trillion lawsuit against P. Diddy, claiming he caused 9-11. Yeah. And the second truth is that staff and police once had to break up a fight between Mitt Romney and rapper Sky Blue on a flight from Vancouver to Los Angeles. Uh, anyway, that means, Lloyd, you've scored two points. Elton John helped rapper Eminem to kick his addiction to prescription drugs. So when Elton married David Furnish, a grateful Eminem supplied the happy couple with a pair of diamond penis rings. A nice gesture, although it did mean that the vicar had to adapt one or two lines of the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Next up is Susan Kalman. Susan grew up in Glasgow. Well, not all the way up, obviously. Just to four feet and 11 inches. Susan, your subject is cheese, a solid food prepared from the pressed curd of milk, which is often seasoned and aged. Off you go, Susan. A bid by the West Dorset village of Knob, famous for the Dorset Knob biscuit, to market a cheese under its own name was rejected by the British <laughs> Cheese Board. <laughs> Gen <laughs> Genuine British cheese names include blue-veined Susan, goat's nipple, crust muncher, stinking chorister, rank buzzard and lost sock. <laughs> Cindy. Can we have the list again? <laughs> Blue vein Susan, goat's nipple, crust muncher, stinking chorister, rank buzzard and lost sock. Blue vein Susan. And no, although there is apparently a raw sheep cheese called black-eyed Susan. Anyone else? No, I think I'll pass. <laughs> <laughs> Most British cheeses have confusing names. Blue Stilton cheese has never been made in the town of Stilton. Cindy. Blue Stilton hasn't been made in the town of Stilton. Correct. Yes. 
Americans are world famous for their love of cheese. In fact, in 2013 alone in America, nine babies were given the name Cheese. Lloyd. I reckon that sounds about right. But the nine the, the, cheese babies. The, um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the nine cheese babies. Yes. Well, it is true. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In 2013, out of 500,000 US families, nine chose to name their baby boys Cheese. American cheese isn't cheese, it is in fact worms and potato. <laughs> there is a delicious cheese made in Germany whose secret is that it's flavoured with dust mite excrement, which means it's perfect for people who don't normally like cheese, but love the taste of dust mite excrement. <laughs> Lloyd. I know that Iceland has got some sort of maggoty cheese, so maybe the um, Germans have um, cornered the market in um, mite poo cheese. They certainly have. Yes. Well done. <laughs> yeah. An enzyme in the dust mite's excretions causes the cheese to ripen, turning it progressively yellow, red-brown and then black, at which point it's eaten. Of all the cheeses, Wensleydale provides the greatest source of energy. So much so that the Wensleydale Creamery in Yorkshire alone can heat up to 800 homes. The praying mantis produces lactose from its pituitary gland and is thus the only lizard capable of making cheese. However, it would take about 250 praying mantises to make enough cheese to cover the surface of a single car's table water biscuit. Although the guests at your dinner party will appreciate the effort you've gone to. <laughs> Does it take 250 praying mantises to do that thing? Well, it might do if there was any truth in the fact yes. that it was, it, the praying it just... mantis does not produce lactose from its pituitary gland. I don't even know if it's got a pituitary gland, <laughs> and it certainly isn't a lizard. Um, Lloyd. There's the Wensley Dill factory. Oh, uh, you can't go that far oh. back. Hang on a second. No, because I was... Hang on a second. Hang on. Let me, let me just check with Susan about whether or not she thinks you can go that far back. Um, <laughs> You were on a roll go. about the locusts. No, 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 locus I would have gone back to the P. Diddy 9-11, which I suddenly realised yeah. was a probable thing. I'm just saying, in, in would... the court today, we've all taken an oath in this court. Yeah. <laughs> As you may have inferred from this conversation, it is true. <laughs> uh, but I don't think you can have the point. Uh, Graham. Crust muncher. <laughs> <laughs> Far too late to buzz for Crust Muncher, Graham, which is fortunate for you because it's not true. <laughs> but it is true that a North Yorkshire biogas plant converts leftover whey from the nearby Wensleydale Creamery to produce 10,000 megawatt hours of thermal power, enough to heat 800 homes per year. Mm -hmm. And Lloyd, I'm not meaning to be harsh, it's just I fundamentally misunderstood the game and I've realised I'm about 150 points down <laughs> and I'm just, yeah. all I'm wanting to do is to break even because I've come all the way from Glasgow and it's been a long journey. <laughs> <laughs> and I am constantly trying to win things to make up for what was essentially a very difficult childhood. <laughs> and I'm just happy yeah. to be out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's, it's, you know, this is a wonderful outreach to the community thing we do <laughs> with this show. Um, yeah. I think the only shame is that so many people are forced to listen to it. <laughs> Thank you, Susan. <laughs> and at the end of that round, Susan, you've managed to smuggle two truths oh, yes, yes. past the rest of the panel. Um, one of those truths was the one that Lloyd got too late about the Wensleydale Creamery. And the other truth is that American cheese isn't cheese. 
and cannot legally be called cheese. Instead, it must be labelled as pasteurised cheese product or processed cheese food. <laughs> <laughs> and that means, Susan, you've scored two points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tyrosemiophile is the name given to a person who collects camembert cheese labels, though weirdo will also suffice. <laughs> Kasu Mazu, a cheese from Sardinia, is ready to eat when it's riddled with live maggots. Oh. Or so the makers claimed desperately during a surprise health inspection. <laughs> it's now the turn of Graham Garden. Your subject, Graham, is Winston Churchill, <clears throat> the British statesman, soldier and author, best known for his leadership of the United Kingdom during the Second World War. Off you go, Graham. Winston Hereward Wolverine Churchill. <laughs> was born at Marlborough Castle, the family home just outside of Wedlock. <laughs> he was head boy at Eton College, where he was a choral scholar, and he became famous for his version of Oh for the Wings of a Dove, which he recorded at the age of 82. Susan. Was he a choral scholar? Uh, he was not a choral scholar. But his recording career really took off later in life, and he was immensely proud of his two albums that charted in the UK Top 40. Lloyd. I think maybe he did release two albums of um, reggae, uh, <laughs> no, uh, of, of speeches, and they charted in the top 40. In fact, I'd stake a finger on it. Oh, well, you've won an 11th finger. <laughs> <laughs> a lifelong teetotaler, he campaigned for the legalisation of laudanum. And as a young man, he enjoyed a toot of cocaine with his best buddy, Queen Victoria. Susan. The laudanum thing? Not the laudanum thing, no. He didn't campaign for that. Susan, second buzz. Co cocaine well, with can you break even? Cocaine with Queen Victoria. Correct. Yes! <laughs> yes. Uh, drug use was uncontrolled during Victoria's reign, and a favourite of the Queen was a cocaine-infused chewing gum, which claimed to be, quote, a powerful tonic to the muscular and nervous system. She shared this with Winston Churchill when he was a guest at Balmoral. It's claimed she wrote an anonymous review for a popular Victorian drink called Van Mariani, which was a mixture of alcohol and cocaine. That's like a literal trip advisor. <laughs> <laughs> With the outbreak of World War II, Churchill immediately set up his office in an underground bunker in Dagenham until the rest of the war cabinet found him and dragged him out. <laughs> he eventually gained popularity after the Battle of Britain when he appeared with the words, this was their finest hour, painted on the side of a bus. <laughs> <laughs> a radio broadcast of Churchill's We Shall Fight on the Beaches speech to the House of Commons was unfortunately cut off before the end and listeners missed his last line, which was, and we'll fight them with the butt ends of broken beer bottles because that's bloody well all we've got. Lloyd. I think that the um, speech was interrupted, so they missed the last line. I don't think that was the last line. Uh, well, you're close, Lloyd. The truth is that Churchill didn't cut off his fight them on the beaches speech, but instead, when it was finished, whispered to a colleague, and we'll fight them with the butt ends of broken beer bottles, because that's all we've bloody got. So, <laughs> nearly, but no point. Churchill then flew to France to personally supervise the evacuation at Dunkirk, codename Brexit One. <laughs> After the war, codename sod this for a game of soldiers, Churchill could retire from politics and devote time to his many hobbies. 
He enjoyed rock climbing, water skiing, karaoke, and writing film scripts, including Inherit the Wind and Carry On at Your Convenience. <laughs> Lloyd. I mean, it sounds unlikely, but was he a water skiing aficionado? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe perhaps as a younger man? Does sound unlikely, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I'm afraid that's not true. Susan. Did he like writing film scripts? Correct. Yes. Yes. Yes, in the early 1930s, the British film producer and director Alexander Corder hired Churchill as a screenwriter, paying him £10,000, a huge amount of money at that time, for two screenplays. One, a feature film on the life of King George V. Neither of Churchill's scripts were filmed. Oh, oh I mean, they're still in development. <laughs> way to say it. In later life, Churchill published a series of greeting cards bearing some of his many witty sayings, which included... Don't tell him, Pike. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think of it so far? And it's the way I tell him. <laughs> Sadly, Churchill's death clashed with the celebrations for the Queen's 50th birthday. As a result, his funeral, codename Hope Not, had to be rescheduled and actually took place one week before he died. <laughs> Lloyd. I think his funeral was rescheduled. No. Oh. Just trying to think back, because the only reason I know about Winston Churchill or the royal family is from the Netflix show The Crown. That's, that's actually a more pleasurable version in some ways. Is it? And everyone is quite good-looking. Oh, they're all yeah. very good-looking. Yeah. It's quite strange fancying the Queen. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because I don't fancy the Queen. Speak for I yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you fancy the fictional Queen more than the real Queen? Yes. I think that's treason. <laughs> <laughs> Churchill's statue depicts him, as we all remember him, unruly mop of hair sticking out under an ill-fitting helmet with a little Union Jack in his hand as he swings suspended on a zip wire. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Graham. And at the end of that round, you've managed to smuggle two truths oh, past well the rest of the panel. Um, the first one is when he finished his We Shall Fight Them on the Beaches speech at the House of Commons, he followed it by saying we'll fight them with the butt ends of Britain beer bottles because that's bloody well all we've got. And the second one is that Churchill's funeral was codenamed Hope Not. Operation Hope Not was the codename of a plan for Winston Churchill's funeral which was started in 1953 after he suffered a major stroke. However, Churchill actually lived for another 12 years leaving Lord Mountbatten to remark that Churchill, quote, kept living and the pallbearers kept dying. <laughs> <laughs> and that means, Graham, that you've scored two points. <laughs> Winston Churchill's last words as he lay in bed were, I'm bored with it all. He then slumped and dropped his half-open copy of The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> <laughs> Which brings us to the final scores. In fourth place, with minus two points, we have Susan Kalman. <laughs> In third place, with no points, it's Sindhu V. <laughs> and in joint first place, with three points each, it's this week's winners, Graham Garden and Lloyd Langford. <laughs> That's about it for this week. Goodbye. The Unbelievable Truth was devised by John Nixmith and Graham Garden and featured David Mitchell in the chair with panellists Will Langford, Susan Calvin, Graham Garden and Sindhu V. The chairman's script was written by Dan Gaster and Colin Swash and the producer was John Nixmith. 
It was a random production for BBC Radio 4.